Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. John the Baptist's ministry was decreasing, and they came to him and said, John, everyone's running over to Jesus, you're, but you're losing people. And John said, a person can receive only what's given them from heaven. John 3.27. So some of us are building something in leadership that wasn't given to us from heaven. And God, I'm the God at the end of our lives. I, I, I built this church to 500 people. And God said, I never asked you to do that. Today on the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, I am in awe and in joy of having a brilliant pastor joining us from New York, Pete Scazzaro. Pete has served as the pastor of New Life Church. I think it's in Queens, right, Pete? It is, yes. It's so good to have you. I'm so thankful that you're willing to take the time to be with us today. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Good, good. It's nice to be here, Oliver. We're going to talk today about a new work called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, moving from shallow Christianity to deep transformation. So just give us an overview of what does make an emotionally healthy disciple? What does that even mean to be emotionally healthy? What, what I would say, what an emotional disciple is someone who who is well-integrated, where we're talking about forming the whole person, which is there's different aspects of our humanity where you know, we're physical beings, we're intellectual beings, we're spiritual beings, relational beings, or emotional beings. And that, what does it mean to get at each of these areas in our lives? And so our work over the last 26 years has been trying to get at this practically so that we're forming people who are, I'll use integrated, whole, mature, growing into mothers and fathers of the faith. And so it's been a wonderful journey for us. We've been on kind of the same theme for you know, 25, 26 years. And this book in some ways is meant to be that was meant to be kind of like a crystallization of what are the core biblical themes that have to get addressed if we're going to develop, again, I, you know, mature people. Uh, so actually the word emotional health comes out of my Old Testament professor. And I had a, had a course in, on Augustine that in seminary where the prophet talked about, we're all neoplatonists, you know, that were, you know, kind of like the body, yeah. the body is bad, the spirit's good. And when I hit this wall and crashed and began then to do this investigation, we met God in therapy, actually, you know, and um, Jerry and I. And uh, I went back to him and said, how do we get into this mess? And he goes, ah, goes, you know, goes back to Augustine and how we just, how we approach sexuality, emotional part of who we are. We don't, we don't deal with it. And we've got this kind of a Gnostic spirituality. And so yeah. it got me into church history, Chalcedon. And how, you know, Jesus being fully God, fully human. And I said, how did I get into the spirituality that was like, I wasn't paying attention to the human parts of my own interior, my emotional life, our marriage. And so it got deep. And so my work has been kind of fleshing it out in a local church. How do you get at it? And et cetera, theologically and then practically. So what does it matter if I have this emotional health or not? Like why pursue it? Why do I need to maybe explore myself, the integrated parts of myself? Yeah. You know, can you get after that for us? I didn't want to do it either. I mean, it was pain that got me here. 
is because it's biblical, first of all. It's God's will for your life. So you can call it emotional health. You can call it integrity. You can call it deep discipleship. But there are certain biblical truths that have to get integrated into our Western discipleship model if we're going to be leaders who actually are offering a gift to the people we serve out of who we are. That's first of all. And secondly, if we're going to develop deeply changed disciples and leaders for the future, I, I think the present crises that we're confronting that are hitting the church, pummeling the church, are, are forcing the discipleship question for us. Just getting a crowd of people is not, not gonna, it's not enough. It's not going to hold water. I think everyone realizes that. And I, I want to just caveat this because for those listening that maybe aren't from America, you may have actually been exposed to some of the Americanized Jesus through media or whatever it might be. So this is a pertinent topic for you. I guess I want you, Pete, if you wouldn't mind, just unpack for us a little bit about what the Americanized Jesus is all about. Why might one be tempted towards this version of Jesus that you kind of suggest? So essentially, I called it the Americanized Jesus. It wasn't because I did this, you know, it's purely in America. Actually, the breakdown of worldly discipleship and Jesus discipleship actually came out of probably three plus years of studying the gospel of Matthew. I was studying how, what was Jesus doing in discipling the 12? And I realized that these 12 had very worldly categories that came out of first century Judaism, that in their own development of how they, they wanted to put Jesus in a box and they wanted to be popular. They wanted to be great. They wanted to be successful by the world standards and they didn't want suffering and failure. And that Jesus over and over again is hitting the same themes with these folks, trying to drive it out of them to follow him. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is the, this is where we live today. These are the struggles all of us have. And I realized they really are the temptations in the wilderness in some ways that Jesus had. And that every culture in every place in the world, every person who follows Jesus is confronted with these temptations and struggles. So I called it follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus, because we export American culture. In a sense, we are the, you know, as a, super, as a superpower and we the entertainment industry and technology flows out of us to the world. We exemplify it like perhaps more than anybody, you know, prosperity gospel came out of America, you know, and yeah. we exported around the world, but it can only have come out of a place like the United States of America, but it's found in Kenya. This is found in Asia. This is found in, in Syria or Israel. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody's following yeah. Christ. So I called it Americanized just because it's just so obvious in American culture. And it's not, it's not the Jesus, I think, we encounter in the Gospels whom we should fully be giving our <laughs> lives to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think, yeah, you could, we could all identify with the struggle that the 12 had. Like, this is really hard to follow the crucified Jesus is, it, it, to be a leader and to be a follower of Christ and to, you know, I, I, des I describe it as, you know, for Jesus' discipleship, it's reject popularity. Just forget it. And that was very hard for Peter and James and John. I mean, that's when Jesus, every time Jesus is talking about the cross, you know, crucifixion, Peter, if you remember in John, in uh, Matthew 16, Jesus, Peter rebukes Jesus, you know, you are not, because he's, he'll lose it. He's number one of this new yeah. movement, you know, and he's going to be great. And James and John are fighting about who gets the two best seats, you know, in this kingdom. And uh, they don't want to go this direction. So let's talk about that for a minute. The popularity component, that's one area that I think we see with the quote unquote, the Americanized version of Christianity, yeah. Americanized Jesus that we can follow. It's this, this misunderstanding that 
popularity is important and maybe it's not even a misunderstanding. It's just the sickness that's in us that we are, are striving for it. You write this in your book on page 68. We might like to think that we've advanced beyond the popularity concerns held by the religious leaders in Jesus's day, which is what you were just highlighting. But most of us place a higher premium on what other people think than we realize. If you doubt that, you ask us some tough questions. You consider if you've ever had any of these thoughts. And then you go on to say, you ask these questions, Pete, and I think they're spot on. Here's the questions you ask. How am I coming off as I preach this message and use this illustration? If I talk with that person about how they hurt me, will they see me differently? How many of us have been in a workplace environment where that's been the case, right? We don't want to we don't want to address the elephant in the room or the issue. If I share my hopes and dreams, will they think I'm selfish? Will my supervisor treat me differently if I share my struggles? Again, all these are getting after the popularity that we are striving for. How many likes, and this is the kicker, I think for a lot of us in the 21st century who are on media, but you write this, how many likes or followers might I pick up if I post this on social media? And listen, Pete, I, I admit, I've struggled with this in my ministry, in my life. Um, I'm human. And if this is part of my inner world currently, and I'm discovering it maybe in this moment right now, how do I begin to change, Pete? How would you encourage me to begin to change, to move into a healthier place that's more focused on following the crucified Jesus instead of this version where I'm seeking popularity? I wish there was a magic pill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you have it? Can you prescribe it for me? <laughs> Take this pill. So, I mean, again, again, I think we've learned anything from Jesus. It's just Discipleship is really slow, right? We yeah. change slowly. And the 12 change slowly. Yes, there's the Holy Spirit, boom, invasion, Pentecost, but the discipleship process, the going, you know, going to the cross and dying yourself, it's slow. So we should be okay with this taking some time. And Jesus has, says the same things over and over again to the 12. It, it's interesting how, if you really look closely, how he's repeating the same theme so it gets more deeply into them. But this is hard stuff. This is not natural. So, for example, let's take popularity. We all have a desire to be liked, loved, esteemed. We do. And that's not a bad thing. And, and because Jesus says, be popular with me, that, that's the goal. But the problem is because of sin, it's disorders. I want to be popular with you, Oliver. I want to be popular with you, the podcast. And so it's disordered. And so part of discipleship is, is reordering that. So one is, I think what's helpful, I mean, I'm like you, I'm, you know, I, I want to get a vision of scripture, first of all, I want to get a, so I want to always be meditating on what's true. So to me, just meditating on these texts is so helpful, because you're, in a sense, if you think of the you know, book of Revelation as this uh, gives these pictures of the beast trying to, you know, swallow us up. Well, the culture is like a beast. And, and so for me, it's getting my brain washed with fresh images of what, what's really life, okay, what's really true. One of the big themes for me in my own journey has been calling folks to a contemplative life, drawing more out of the riches of monasticism. I'm talking about silence, stillness, solitude, that we've got to create these spaces in our own desert, in a sense, where God can get to us. We get to God, God gets to us. And there's space for transformation until I began to dive. So it's not to dive into some of the riches of 
the monastic tradition, going back to Elijah, John the Baptist, Moses, Desert Fathers, all through church history, that was a turning point for me as well, along with emotional health, because I, it's not just, you know, okay, I see these things in scripture, you know, but I've got to rearrange my life here where I'm less busy. I'm not overloaded. My life becomes one of communion with God. But in particular, I've got enough silence and stillness where God can get at the false self and dismantle it. And I think that's not part of evangelicalism right now or the church. And so that's a concern I have for seminaries, developing leaders in churches. We've got to to bring in some of the riches of church history into our churches if we're going to develop people who are deeply changed by God. Because we're talking here about, you know, reject popularity, reject being great by the world standards, reject being successful by the world standards, and embrace suffering and failure. I mean, those are like, come on, it's the opposite. So, so you know, it, this is a radically different way of, this is getting cleansed of the American church as well as the world. This is a twofold shift. You know, we live in a world, Pete, and you know this, it's a world that is telling us bigger is better, have it your way, get as many followers as you can, this person's got so many thousands or whatever, and and I think there's like a badge of honor that, you know, our culture puts on us when we have those things, and uh, internally, there's a sickness in us that craves that and loves that, and it's, it's almost like we need to take a look at that for a minute and realize that this is absolutely not how Jesus functioned. Right now, all over, so many pastors are discouraged. Yeah. They want to quit because people lost so many people in their church through COVID. We're coming back now, but oh my gosh, 20% or 30% or even 40% of my church is gone. And so pastors and leaders, a lot are, are resigning. Wow. Some are just discouraged. Yeah. I want to say, no, I'm, I'm this one young guy. I'm, I'm going to say to him this week because he sent me this a case study and He's here in New York City, and 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 his church has shrunk. It's been really challenging, and it looks like he's going nowhere. And I want to say to him, "No, you're going, you're going in the right direction, you know. But you're you can't measure success by up and to the right, by numbers, because if you did that, then John the Baptist was a failure, Isaiah was a failure, Jesus was a failure. I mean, it's just it's it's an American Enlightenment construct." What if the prophets in the Old Testament were concerned about how everybody was going to take their message? <laughs> exactly. I mean, one of the themes, one, one of the core themes for me is we have to redefine success. And success in the world's eyes is, again, bigger, better, up and to the right. But success biblically is becoming the person God calls you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way and in his timetable. So that definition is pretty critical because, first of all, am I becoming the person God wants me to become? That looks like kinder, maybe a slow down, not as anxious, being present with people, my more loving person, et cetera. And then what's God asking me to do? And so if I'm trying to push this ministry to grow numerically, that's fine if that's what God told you to do. Yeah, you want to reach the Great Commission, but wait a second. I mean, John the Baptist ministry was decreasing, and they came to him and said, John, everyone's running over to Jesus, but you're losing people. And John said, a person can receive only what's given them from heaven, John 3.7. So some of us are building something in leadership wow. that wasn't given to us from heaven. And God, on the God, the end of our lives, I, I built this church to 500 people. And God said, I never asked you to do that. 
that's what of course was down. That was of course down the street. You were supposed to be, you know, developing, you know, these young people and discipling these few. They were going to go out and build churches of ten thousand. So what's at risk, Pete, when people are moving in that direction and they are really seeking the approval of humans and men and men and women, rather than being, you know, popular with Jesus, as you said earlier? What, what's at what's at stake? What's at risk? First of all, you're going to be exhausted because you're living a life that's not been given wow. to you by God. The people around you are going to suffer um, because they're not getting your best. They're getting basically a fake you. Um, the fruitfulness is not going to be long lasting. So it may be a good five, 10 years. I, I can think of, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, Oliver, you know, and I've seen a lot. And I'm surprised. I mean, so many people I, I who had mega churches I know yep. and were quote, so well known and ended up not ending real well. And again, I'm not making a judgment on all of it. I just know that what looks so great for a while doesn't mean it's great. And I think I know this in God's eyes, it's the little that's meaningful. It's the mustard seed of the kingdom. And so I, I feel like part of what I want to do at the end of at my final season here is mentoring young men and women to help them relax. It's okay. You're stuck. Even if your church failed and quote yeah. failed. By and, American, and, by American standards, right? But you actually I told one one guy I was with some a person on the phone the other day last week, and he lost a denominational executive position. He he was really he was sad, but he was like, Oh yeah, God's will. Yeah, but he he was bummed out. And then his wife jumped on and she cried. And then I said, Well, can I just reframe this for you? I said, You lost the election, but maybe you won. Wow. And God, because you would have been in I asked him what would life have been like if you'd won. Oh my God. Oh, two days of boring these committee meetings. You know, I was like, <laughs> you realize like you can read a book now. What that would have done for you, you would have been so overextended. Yeah. Besides pastoring your church. And I was like, Do you realize you may have, God may have just given you the most wonderful gift? And you may have actually succeeded by failing and losing. Yeah. It's just that they just couldn't even think of it that way initially, because it just no one's ever framed it like that. Because the idea of even pastoring, I'm going through career moves going up, yeah, you know, versus going down, inward and downward, not upward and outward. We go upward and outward. That's our whole focus. Yeah, and I think the call at the is, expense of the inward. <laughs> and Jesus' call is to go inward and down, yeah. which is really what he's trying to do with the twelve over and over again. And you see that kind of inward downward versus upward outward focus in Jesus work, but yet it's really hard to stay grounded like that. This other question comes to mind. How do I know, Pete, if my plans are for my own gain or for the kingdom's gain? Yeah, it's a great question. I, again, we're back to how do I discern? Is this God's will for me? And uh, that's a slower process. I, I'm not sure there's a one pill for that either. Um, but it needs a process. I'm a big believer in Ignatian spirituality as part of the discernment process, listening to constellations, desolations. We need, I believe everybody is in leadership. We need mentors, spiritual directors, at times therapists to sort out our, what's my stuff here and what's God. And that's why I meet people, you know, who are prophetic and, you know, very gifted and that's why family of origin is so significant, understanding how your family of origin has impacted who you are today, because it's more than Enneagram number, which I like the Enneagram, but just bringing to the table, like, is this out of my feelings of being a loser? Because my mother always said I was a loser. 
So I'm going to show my dead mom. I'm not a loser. Like I've got to be in touch with this stuff. And why, where is it? Where's this competitive nature of me coming from that I'm, why am I competing with this guy down the street? Who's got a church double my size or this new church plant. Why am I threatened by it versus just, Hey, it's all good. Right. And I've got my piece to play in this larger kingdom. And, but anyway, so I, it's a lot of inner work yeah. to sort out. Is this from me or is this God? And Again, if you're really busy, you don't have time to even sort it out because yeah. your life is too full. And now we're back again to a drawing from a slow down contemplative life where I've got to build in some radical rhythms so that I can discern. The word that the John Cassian, one of the church fathers used to use called discretion. And discretion was a quality for abbots of monasteries. You had to have this be an abbot, which was the ability to let things unfold, to be patient, to let things unfold. We don't do that in the American church or the Western church. We don't let things unfold. We we seize it. Yeah. We, we meet together. We say an opening prayer. And we basically say, we got the Great Commission. What opportunities are there before us? Yeah. That, again, violates a theology of limits. There's a whole biblical theology of limits. And that's putting yourself in a place of God. That's a dangerous place to be in. And it's exhausting. Not every opportunity is God. Wow. And if you seize every opportunity as a door open from God, Satan had open doors for Jesus. I mean, you know, I I like what one commentator says. If you will do anything to keep your work from failing, you are now worshiping Satan because that's what he did to Jesus. You know, bow to me for a second. You will not fail. You will not think I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world right now. And I just think it's this is a, it's a perilous business to lead in God's church. That's a startling thought, a startling thought to have that in our chasing like that and our pursuit of op- all those open doors that we could be worshiping something wholly other than Jesus. Hmm. Yes. Sobering moment. Well, I would just want to highlight something you've always highlighted in your works. Ways to get in touch with these things is to spend time in silence and solitude, to slow down and to find those rhythms. And you are such a champion of that in your in your training, in your work. Um, you challenge us to do that. And I think that's one of the ways uh, that we can really pause and give thought to, am I trying to build this plan for my own game so that people hear my name and know me? Or am I building this thing for for Jesus. You know, the first principle is be before you do. It's not just integrating silence and solitude, although that's a part of it. I think it's really critical. It's more you're taking time. The most important job or work you're doing is investing in your own discipleship. Do you understand? Yeah. It's, it's slowing down to invest in you. That may include going to a therapist. It may include reading a book. It may listen to your podcast. It, but I'm doing things taking a, a demon course, going back to get an advanced degree in something, but I'm investing in my being with yeah. Jesus because out of that flows my work for Jesus. And I think that switch of, am I getting enough time to invest in my being so that I'm leading out of a cup that overflows? That's an entire shift of your life. Yeah. So yeah, date night or you know, with your spouse or investing in your marriage, all of that is investing in your being. And the truth is most of us are just, we're flying to do, and we just try to hold our, get enough so we're not dead on the ground. 
but we're running on fumes and it's exhausting and it's not a great way to do it. I run the risk of doing that myself. I am a number three on the Enneagram and I am a dangerous person <laughs> who loves to do before I be. And it's, uh, it's a constant, uh, it is a constant struggle for me to take the time to be. And I do see in my own ministry and work that the Lord can move much easier in my life when I do slow down and let him. But we need threes, Oliver. We need you. I mean, Peter was a three, okay? <laughs> we need threes to lead. I love that you know what Peter was. That's great. <laughs> he was a three. Make it happen. And But yet, remember, the call was to be with Jesus yeah. and then to preach and drive out demons. So it was being first. And I think that's that's the great discipline for every Enneagram number, not just threes, but especially yourselves. Because if you can, but understanding that that is always your cutting edge, it's wonderful. That's 99% of the issue. And hopefully you've got, you're married, which is a, that'll slow you down. And it sounds like you're <laughs> with two little, two little ones too. Well, it should slow me down. Well, she's yeah. like, Jerry, she'll quit. I'll <laughs> tell you what, as I read about Jerry, I thought to myself, oh, I have Jerry 2.0 in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Jerry no, saved my life by quitting. And I can tell you right now, if I ever get out of whack, and you don't say, what happened to Scazzaro? Where did he go? Like, we, we can't even get in touch with the guy anymore. He disappeared. It'll be because I got off track and yeah. Jerry quit and I had to leave it all. I dropped everything for the well, sake of marriage. I she, she won't cooperate. She won't do it. And you know what? That's a good thing it because is. she shouldn't. It's not healthy for anybody if if she did. Yeah. So it's good. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad you can be transparent about that too. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to be able to laugh at, but at the same time, there's a, there's so much truth to that. That's, uh, very valuable. I think for many people to even hear right now. So thanks for sharing it. Pete, I want to end our time with just some, some quick rapid fire questions. I'm not going to even respond. Could you have, you have a few minutes for that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, here we go. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to go on to the next question right away. So feel free to take as long as you want on these responses or as short as you want. So the first one, we've been in a pandemic, you know, we were coming out of it, hopefully slowly here. A lot of people have had challenges. I know I have, our family has. I'm wondering what a challenge for you has been in regard to your own journey as a disciple and how have you grown aware of it and how are you addressing it? Well, the pandemic uprooted so much of routine that I was accustomed to, and I think we all were accustomed to. And so we are in the middle of a big shift going on globally in the church, in the culture. And what's been a challenge for me is change. I mean, it's just, I've had to shift my life and I don't like change. I don't like change. That's been my biggest challenge. And deepen my rhythms, to be honest, of greater rhythms of being with God, out of which I, I do. So my I think my biggest challenge would be I, I've been reluctant to want to change. And but I just realized it's God. And so change is, is for every one of us is confronted by that. How would you shepherd a ministry leader who is seeking to help everyone they meet along the way? Well, first of all, you cannot help everyone you meet along the way. I would say that you want to discern a discernment process of what is God? Again, let's go back to what is success. Who's God asking you to become? Are you growing into that person? And then what is God specifically asking you to do and with whom? You cannot serve every person you meet along the way. And so the question then is whom? And I think we all want to be about discipling the few. 
three to 12, I'd say for any, anybody who's a ministry leader, you want to be being disciples, being, you want to be growing yourself and you want to always invest in the few and then craft and structure somehow a way that you can invest in those few. I don't care what role you are in life, marketplace, pastor, professor. So I'm thinking right now about somebody who has struggled with grief and loss. And I wonder sometimes if even those who bought into the Americanized version of Jesus, uh, the the popular, the focus on the upward and, and outward expression, struggle with that as well. But I'm wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about why it might be hard for people in general to enter into grief and loss. First of all, we all move away from grief and loss. Who wants to grief? I mean, this is a very, it's a very difficult topic. So our, we got to understand that our, all of our tendencies is to deny, suppress, repress, uh, distract, and medicate. That's us. That's not just the culture. It's just, it's, it's our flesh. Um, so again, it's such a huge biblical theme. I mean, it's, we're talking two thirds of the Psalms, a whole book called Lamentations, 35 chapters of Job. I mean, David commanding the troops to, you know, lament. I mean, it's everywhere in scripture, yet it's something we don't do very well. So I would say why is it so hard is because it is hard. But I'll say this. You cannot grow into maturity without learning to grieve your losses. So I like to compare it to becoming a master artist or uh, tradesperson. We grow in our ability to grieve. So we think of it, we start out as apprentices, and then we become journeymen or journeywomen, then we become masters over a period of years. Well, learning to grieve is a slow process of years but I'll say it again, without going into that painful process, we miss God. We miss things he wants to do in us of transformative moments. There's so much loss, but there's so much treasure in it if we're willing to go there. But you've got, again, it's like anything else, Oliver, it's a long journey. So we actually meet when I, I do, when I do a, a pastor's and emotionally spirituality course, and we do it for pastors. We have them do a chart of their losses over the over. Uh, different seasons of their life. And then how did they deal with it? And how did God perhaps come with them? But then we actually do a mentoring time with them one-on-one processing their griefs and loss, helping them look at it afresh and more deeply because there's so much material in there for, for spiritual formation, but we generally don't look at it. We just kind of move on. So if you encountered somebody in your ministry that had gone through a real unexpected loss, maybe the loss of a spouse at too yeah. early of an age. I'm curious to know, how would you pastor them? What would you say to them? Well, let me just say, I don't know, but I do have a good friend who's lives just two blocks from me here in Queens, whose wife did die at 56 a few years ago. And uh, it was devastating. It was devastating. So I didn't say anything, to be honest. I, I was just present with him. I think that's what we do when people are in great suffering. His suffering was unmentionable. I I can't, I just can't, I'm married 37 years in August. I can't even fathom that level of pain. So I was just present there with him in his process. I had another friend whose son was killed in a automobile accident in his twenties. And again, I, what do you say? I just listened for a couple of hours uh, at a few different meetings. That's what I say. I say nothing and just be present. It's not much you can say. I want to change topics and return to something we talked about earlier, but uh, what should I do when I have failure in front of me in my ministry and work? Say, thank you, Lord. I think, God, how are you coming to me? 
what are you doing? Is this ending? And I know one person was church planting and he was being funded and he had to move to a vocational role, bivocational. And it's great. I mean, but why, why was that so weird? Paul did it. Paul went in and out of bivocational, you know, work tent making and then not tent making. And it's just fine. But I think we have these categories. There's so much happening and so much of scripture comes alive when we fail. I mean, we don't grow from our successes. We grow from failure. We grow from things falling apart. I mean, that's, look, look back at your life when I'm older than you. And I, I look back at all of my seasons of significant transformation were in dark nights. They were never in like, oh, again, what's defined success? Was the, cru- the crucified Jesus was not a success and look like a success at all. And if I look back at the key moments of my journey where I've really been transformed by God, every single one of them was in failure and suffering and disappointment and mystery. I don't know what's going on. I mean, again, I think there's a place for, I don't know. There's such a, that's such a huge place to come in, to come to is I don't know what's going on, but I trust you, Lord. And I'm going to follow you and be faithful to you in this moment. Those are, that's a powerful place to be. We did our succession eight years ago. I was aware the whole succession might flop. And I realized this may be God's will too. And here's Pete writing books on emotionally healthy leadership and stuff. And about he's writing about endings and new beginnings. And yet his ending was a, didn't go well. Hmm. And I realized that could be God's will too. To show that basically, even the miracles of what you believe, it's still in the hands of God. And it's how you walk through that. So again, our ways, we just, we, we quote our ways are not God's ways. And you really, <laughs> really. So Christian life's a wonderful life if we let go. It's all about emptying ourselves. It's all about Philippians 2, emptying ourselves. I, I like Meister Eckhart's work. It's been a real, real important to me of surrender of our will. So it actually becomes God's will is the core of the Christian life, detaching from all those things we're attached to. And God can't fill us when we're attached to all these things because mm-hmm. inside of our being is all these attachments. And so how can Jesus be birthed in and through me if I've got all, I got to have this church got to be like this. My circumstances have to be like this because my circumstances give me a happy life and a happy feeling of a successful pastor and all that. That's an awful way to live. That's awful. Yeah. So to get free from that is, you know, wonderful. Last question. Finish the sentence for me. Jerry is. Jerry is. We are one flesh without being enmeshed. And so she's my best friend, you know, lover. She's, we co-work together. I mean, Jerry is after Jesus, my first vocation, my first vocation is Jesus. My second is to make what's important to her important to me and that she feels like the most loved person on earth. And so that takes precedent over anything else I do from as a leadership perspective. It all flows from there. Pete, thank you for just sharing that with us and um, being honest and candid in both this moment and your work uh, that you have shared with us in print. I'm wondering if you would have any final word of wisdom to leave with the listeners today. I would encourage you listening that it may appear that we are in the worst of times, but we're actually in the best of times in the sense that God is very much unfolding something 
on the earth. And while the church, at least in Europe and North America, is in decline, the church is exploding in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, Latin America. And God is doing so many new things among the next generations that are going to be following us, the millennials, the Generation Zs, and those who will follow them. And I'm so hopeful about the future and that the most loving thing you can do for everyone around you is to let God take care of you, slow it down, make being with him the number one aim of your life. And everything else is going to work out just fine. And all these things that you think you have to have for happiness, you find out, no, they're actually keeping you from happiness. <laughs> There's another way to do, to do this leadership thing. Thank you for being on this podcast with us. We really appreciate you taking the time to invest in our listeners and, and those who tune into this. And I think every ministry leader needs to have this on their shelf. And I think every seminary student needs to read it at some point before they graduate. The title is Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation. So thank you so much, Pete, for your time. Really appreciate you. Oliver, thank you. Great to be with you. This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast is brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a ministry of Christianity today. We thank you for listening and tuning in. If you're finding this podcast helpful to your ministry, we just invite you to share it with a colleague or another ministry partner. And uh, please feel free to rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you'd like full access to smallgroups.com, please subscribe today. We have all kinds of plans that will meet your budget. We'll give you access to hundreds of Bible studies, indeed, even some on the topics that we've been touching on today in relation to internal spiritual health. We have tools to train your leaders and even our recent segment called Ask the Expert. We want you to check that out as well. So until next time, my friends, God bless.